Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Chronicles Abroad. It's a podcast show that uses travel to highlight stories of personal growth. So each week we'll spotlight the stories of courageous world travelers, creative wanderers, and digital nomads who share their incredible experiences of the world through their eyes. If you like traveling, this is what you need. So tune in. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you so much for tuning in to Chronicles Abroad. I'm Francis. And I'm Nubia. And we have an awesome show for you guys today. We are so excited. We are on episode number three. Can you believe it, Nubia? Oh my gosh, it's been a journey, but it's a great one. So thank you guys for tuning in. And yes, of course, tune in and catch us every Wednesday. And today we have Adia White-Hammond. So Adia, thank you again so much for meeting with us and spending time with us today. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm on vacation. There's like no reason to be upset on vacation. So I'm I'm feeling I totally agree. (laughs) So Adia, where are you right now? I am in, I'm in um, Swaziland. I'm in Mbabane, which is, I, I guess it has two capitals. So I'm, I'm in one of the capitals of Swaziland, but I'm kind of like in the mountains. So I'm a little bit outside of the city. Okay. So what's the weather like over there? It's, you know, I, I was, I'm about to, it's like Boston in the spring. I have to, I'd have to like, look at the weather. I can't, you know, I have like such a bad sense of like, of what the temperature is at this point in life. So I'm not completely sure. Well, it's I'm sure pleasant. it's better than, because yes. no, right there's now, no snow. It's pleasant. It's very pleasant. Okay. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> right now, so Nubi and I are in Vietnam. Okay. We're in Hanoi and it's, it's quite chilly and it's been raining. Oh. Yes. Extremely chilly. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I let, you know, because right now I'm in Japan and thank God I missed the snow that happened yeah. in Japan because I would have been freaking out. That's why I left Boston. So it's interesting. We are all Boston natives. Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't realize oh, wow. maybe that you were from Boston as well. Yes, I am a Bostonian. So tell us where in Africa specifically are you located? Central, correct? Yes. Where I live, Congo. Yes. It's considered, yeah, it's considered Central Africa. It is. And what brought you out to Central Africa? I, so I taught in Boston public schools for five years and it was sort of this, like, it it was like a delayed dream. Like I had, I had wanted to go abroad for like a while after I graduated, after I graduated from college, I wanted to go abroad and, and I got pregnant with my daughter the year not even the year, like months after I graduated. And so I kind of had to like sit down, sort of settle myself. So I taught in Boston for five years and then basically was trying to figure out how I could go abroad. I had all these different like plans. First, I was going to like tutor online and like move to Mexico and write a book and like send her to school, you know, like a local school in Mexico. But that didn't feel, it didn't feel stable enough for me. And so I took a look at the international teaching circuit. Um, and applied to a number of schools. 
Okay. So your plan was to always move abroad. I did. I mean, I wanted to, yeah, that was the plan. And I wasn't like super picky about where. I kind of had like countries I wasn't interested in, but for the most part, I was kind of like, I'm open to anywhere. So I, I applied to a number of schools. So how did you pick Africa as the place that you were going to head towards? It really wasn't. So what happens with international teaching is, um, so I applied through an agency and some people applied directly to schools, but I literally applied through an agency and just sent a bunch of resumes to like, you know, all over the place. You know, I was, I was, yeah, I was basically sending resumes all over the world um, with the exception of countries that were too cold. But even then I was, I mean, I was just kind of like, wherever I get a job is where I get a job. The first school that I heard from was in Congo and I did a series of interviews with them after like my, after doing these interviews and then talking to teachers at the school, I just felt really good about, about the school. I felt really good about the support that they could provide for me as like a single mom. And so they offered me a position in November uh, which is, um, there's sort of like December, January is like the, the school fair time where like people start going to these, um, these school fairs. And so I like, it was easier for me to take a job that I felt good about before having to deal with like the school job fairs and all of that other stuff. And so that's how I ended up in Congo. So it wasn't, wasn't by design at all. It was completely just, I'm willing to go anywhere and that's who was willing to take me. (laughs) So can you give our listeners a little background about your education? So were you a teacher in the States? Yeah, I was a, I was a pub, I was a teacher in the Boston public schools for five years. I was an English teacher. You mean in terms of like education? I mean, I did, so I did, I did my undergraduate and then I did a master's, like a dual master's, like teaching certification program and then taught for five years. Okay, great. So certified teacher just said, Hey, you know, I just want to move abroad and whoever takes me, I'm going to jump and move forward. So I think that, I mean, that's pretty awesome. That's very courageous because, you know, a lot of people think about it, but you just went out and you did it. So let me ask you, you know, being a single mom and making that transition, what kind of concerns did you have uh, doing that? Like, And did you get any pushback from your family, friends? Like, how did everyone react to you doing that? You know, from my immediate family, no. I mean, I think they were open to it. You know, I think the biggest thing, the biggest issue that comes up for people is Congo. Like, why would you move to Congo? Why would you move to Kinshasa? Um, I mean, I can't, like, if you Google Congo or Kinshasa right now, I can't think of anything really good that comes up. You know, there's like, it's, it's war, it's Ebola, it's all of this other stuff. And so when I was getting pushback, it wasn't from my immediate family. Cause like my immediate family, they're pretty reckless. So they were like, cool, you know, they were like cool with things. They're well-traveled. My mom um, has spent time in South Sudan, my sister, you know, so like they, we've, we've traveled around. So they weren't really concerned about that. I think the biggest pushback was just from other people. Like, why are you going to Congo? And then the decision around, well, are you just so desperate to get abroad that like you'll literally go anywhere? And I think the biggest thing for me is kind of pushing for people that the school, the particular school that I'm at, there was, it was very much a conscious decision. There were other families there. It's still a family posting for like the U.S. Embassy, which 
to some extent, I think, is a marker for whether or not, you know, if the U.S. Embassy deems it safe enough for families to be there, I kind of felt like it, it can't be like completely crazy because the, the embassy does tend to err on the side of caution. So I think most of the pushback came, it wasn't so much about moving abroad, but it was it was more about moving to where I was moving to. And I think this this maybe this idea that I was just so desperate to leave that I would literally just, I'd go anywhere. I'd choose any country and I didn't care whether there was a war happening or, you know, whether there was famine happening or whatever there was, I just wanted to get out. And that wasn't really the case at all. I definitely, I did my research on Kinshasa. (laughs) That's what's up. So you get to Africa and then what? How was your transition? You were a single mom. Um, Your daughter was how old at that time? She was, uh, she was seven when we moved. I think she was seven. She was either eight. She was the eight, eight, sorry. Like the years kind of run together. <laughs> so how did that all work? You know, it's funny. So like, I, <laughs> I mean, I think this, this probably happens more often than not is when you move, you generally immediately get, get taken into sort of like the expat fold. And so the transition for me wasn't as like difficult as I think people would imagine it to be, because I think especially in countries like this, where there's not as much freedom of movement, where you do have to be a little bit more more mindful, you definitely get taken into that expat fold. And so the biggest, like, I think maybe the toughest aspect of transitioning for me was moving to Kinshasa as an African-American woman with an African-American child and finding myself very much surrounded by an expat bubble and an expat circle of predominantly like white Americans. And so that was really the biggest transition. It wasn't like getting used to Congolese society. It wasn't getting used to like the hustle and bustle in Kinshasa. It was like... Uh, kind of feeling a little bit like in between, kind of feeling a little bit like an outsider inside of a circle that I, I feel like maybe I should connect with because we all have the same passport. And so, I mean, I think that was probably the biggest or maybe the, the most difficult aspect of transition for me. A lot of the other stuff I just kind of got used to, like the city, you know, Kinshasa is a big, crazy city and it's crowded and the infrastructure isn't that great. I could manage that. Getting pulled over by the police and them trying to get money out of you, I could manage that. Like there are a lot of things that I could manage, but like figuring out my friend circle was difficult. It was definitely like a an awkward transition for me. You know, we're more than just travel. We provide tips resources and hacks for the curious traveler in you. So whether you're a lover of travel or just someone who is ready for a change, we have something for everyone. No, I I totally understand that because I could definitely relate. You know, having lived in Thailand and Japan, I find myself, most of my expat circles are white Americans. And, you know, it's not, you know, as accessible to find, you know, people of color. It's just very different. And it's been great, you know, no complaints. However, there is a stark distinction um, there for sure. And, and, and you have to just readjust because I know for me that that type of connection didn't reflect what was going on when I was living in the States. So it kind of, <laughs> so it's kind of flipped itself on, a, on the axis. So we totally, 
I totally understand that. So let me ask you, um, so what has, is there like a language barrier, culture, food? What was that adjustment like? If you could talk a little bit more about that. Well, okay. So first of all, <laughs> food, not a problem at all. I mean, you know, I, I think, yeah, food wasn't really a problem for me. I'm kind of like, I'll eat anything as long as it's good and it's got some salt in it. So it wasn't like, that wasn't like a big issue for me. Language, I, I didn't speak French when I got there. I still don't feel like I speak French. I can like function, but like, you know, if, when you're like a language teacher and you're very aware of, I mean, I'm, and I'm like a literature teacher, so I'm very aware of like incorrect English grammar. <laughs> so for me, it's like, I need to push myself to speak French more. I think I could have developed a lot more if I weren't, if I weren't so self-conscious about things. And then like, you know, really what it came down to a lot of times for me was like at the end of the day, like most of my neighbors spoke English. You know, I would get home at like after like a long day of work and it's like, I want to speak in French. Language is always like a little bit of a, a barrier. And, and again, that shapes your friend circles. You know, like there are people that I could probably connect with more if I spoke French, but I don't necessarily connect with them because my French isn't as strong as I'd like it to be. It doesn't allow for sort of like the in-depth communication that I would desire with people. So the language, I think culturally, yes, there is, you know, it's like, let me be diplomatic. Yes, there is definitely some adjustments that come with, that came like try, trying to adjust to certain aspects of Congolese culture. I mean, I think, and I, I think this, I don't know if this happened with you in Thailand, is that there's, in expat circles, there's a certain level of distrust that I think expats have for like the local population. And that distrust is rooted in some truth, you know, and it's not necessarily, I mean, I think, especially in a place like Kinshasa, where people are incredibly poor. And so there's this, it does, you do get to this point where you feel like everybody's trying to get something out of me, you know, like a friend invited me to, to dinner and then they didn't pay for their part or, you know, like you get, you get sick of like these certain aspects of things. And so it was figuring out how to like keep my eyes open, but not enter every sort of friendship and not enter every situation with like a Congolese person automatically assuming that they're trying to screw me over that they're trying to get something from me. And so finding that balance, I think is really, that's been a challenge, you know? And then, uh, you know, other aspects of the culture, like, like I stay, I stay getting into arguments with people <laughs> about, you know, especially men <laughs> about various things, you know, I bet, I bet. <laughs> without fail, like I stay getting into arguments with people about that and like, you know, friendly arguments, but like debates nonetheless. So I think, you know, that's been, that's probably been a big transition. And then, and, and then I think like transitioning in a country that's transitioning or trying to understand a mentality in a country that's not completely stable. I've never been faced with that. You know what I mean? I, we have the instability that like, that I think people like look at in the U.S. It's a, it's a very different type of instability than like a place like Kinshasa that, you know, for, for decades hasn't really been completely stable. And so there's, I think there's sort of like a mentality that comes around instability that I, 
I've sort of like, not that I've struggled to understand it, but it's, it's not the mentality that I sort of operate by, but it's also because I have, I have the privilege of leaving when I want to. And so that's just kind of trans. Yeah. That's a huge difference. Yeah. You know, trying to transition into, okay, so you're thinking about it this way because this is your reality and Kinshasa is my reality right now, but it doesn't have to be, you know? And so really trying to like, uh, make sense of that in transition or at least understand that mindset. Okay. So have you adapted any cultural traditions? Um, I mean, like what? <laughs> I think I'm trying to think about this. Are there like certain... So for example, at least for, at least for me, I've really taken on the no shoes policy uh-huh. in my place. I find myself bowing a lot because they do that in Japan. <laughs> So I find myself doing that almost mm-hmm. everywhere. Even in Vietnam, I'm bowing, <laughs> you know, just to, to show politeness and everything else. Um, and so just any different cultural traditions that you've seen others practice there that you've, you know, absorbed into your own practice or your way of living. I can't, I mean, other than, you Kinshasa, Kinshasa is such a, it's a weird, not a weird, it's such a hodgepodge that... There's not, I mean, other than like, I, you know, I don't buy imported foods a lot. So like I eat what's local and what's there, but I can't really say that there's anything that I, that like, that is like pervasive in Congolese culture that I like do on a daily basis. My syntax is a little off sometimes, but that's like, I mean, I think I have like awkward syntax sometimes, but it's from like, I mean, I'm like really pushing myself around French. And so sometimes like translating back and forth between French, but I don't know that that's necessarily a cultural tradition. It's just sort of like a language thing. Okay. So you've mentioned that some of the challenges to patriarchy, have you exhibited or you know experienced any other challenges while traveling through um, South Africa and also some of the places you've traveled as well? My daughter is, is like significantly darker than me. And I think this happens in Kinshasa and it's, it happened in other countries in Africa where people assume that she is not my daughter or they assume like I've, I've had an incident in Congo where somebody assumed that I had adopted her from Congo and that she was Congolese and that I was American and she has dreadlocks and I, I also have dreadlocks. And so when people look at me and they assume that I'm American, like that's fine. That's what Americans do. But like, you don't see many Congolese children running around with locks. And so, so there's sort of this like assumption that, oh, you know, she, look what she's doing to like our child. And it's like, no, this is my child. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of been, like, that's a, a little <laughs> bit of a challenge is like having to defend, no, this is my child. I gave birth to her. <laughs> like back up. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, don't, and I know it because I, cause I like, I know it because like, I, you know, it's like, I know, I know where that side eye comes from. I definitely know where it comes from because I've caught myself doing it sometimes, but like, you know, it's like, so it's like, don't you put me in that class of people, but it's like, okay, wait a minute. So now I like I get that frustration. So that, I mean, that's been a little bit of a challenge. I think, you know, what's interesting for me. I recognize that I think in general, you know, I'm in this like Facebook group where this woman was asking, is it safe to travel around Africa as like a single mom? I was like, I, I actually find that people are more, that they're kinder, that they're more accommodating, that they're more helpful. 
So the challenges that I've experienced in terms of like traveling have been like minimal because I almost feel like because I'm traveling with a child, because I'm traveling with a child, people are actually just more receptive and they're just more helpful. And I, I kind of get out of, I get pulled out of that, like that class of like, oh, just, you know, the single American woman traveling around. I mean, it's sort of a mother with her child. And so I've just, I've been able to connect with people in a way that I know I wouldn't have been able to do if it had just been me traveling by myself. Okay. Fabulous. So question, Mm -hmm. because this is something I get a lot. Dating abroad. Mm-hmm. What has happened? <laughs> like, <for me. laughs> tell us how you really feel, girl. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Dating abroad. <laughs> you in Congo or just in general? <laughs> just in life, child, in I- life. What has, uh, well, yes, obviously, since you've yeah, been abroad. I mean, well, can I just say yeah. this real, real quick? So I'm in Asia. Oh, and yeah, that's another. And dating abroad is somewhat non-existent. Yeah. Somewhat? But, <laughs> what do you mean somewhat? But with you living in Africa, I might be ignorant to the fact of, oh, she would have a better dating experience because you're with other Africans, people yes. of color. So what I will say is, there is no shortage of opportunity to go out on dates. That is not the problem. The problem is connecting beyond dates. And I think if I were at a point in my life where I was like, I just want to date and hook up and do whatever, no strings attached, I would be having the time of my life. But I'm not at that point anymore. It's awesome if you're looking for a date, right? Like if I'm looking for like a free meal, you know, or something like that, like I'm having an awesome time. Um, But I think in terms of just connecting with people on a deeper level, uh, you know, uh, for me, it's like, I'm, I'm, it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to get myself into that. Like the, the men are trash realm. Like I don't even want to go there. (laughs) Um, Cause it's again, like I, like I said, when I, when I think about things as an expat or when I look at things that I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me, that's ridiculous. It's sort of like, okay, how can I like step aside and kind of look at this objectively? I have found that like dating, whether it's with like another foreigner or, or whether it's even dating local, it's just really hard to connect with people, whether it's because of cultural issues. I think when you're an expat, you've kind of got this like, they're always ready to move on mindset. And so it really does need to be, you know, like, I mean, there are two different realms. When you're dating a foreigner, everybody's sort of thinking about moving around, right? Nobody, most of the time, especially not in Kinshasa, people are in Kinshasa for a reason. And a lot of times they're not planning to stay. And so, I mean, it really has to be something like, it is, it's a huge risk to decide to commit to somebody and to commit to them beyond what's happening there. And I think a lot of times people aren't ready to take that risk. And I'm also like one of those people, like I'm also like, I'm not necessarily ready to take that risk. And then I think in terms of dating locally, you know, I, I've met some good people, you know, when you're like, I'm trying to be diplomatic here. (laughs) What, what I would say is that what I value in relationships is not necessarily what's always valued in, in those relationships. So the things that are really, really important to me are, are not necessarily 
what's sort of important. And so there are cultural issues that come into play. And so I, I haven't been, I mean, I like, I'm not, I'm not engaged. I'm not marrying anybody anytime soon. I'm like, I'm getting out of Congo next year, you know? So it's difficult. It is difficult. Dating is not the problem. Connecting beyond dating is the problem. I guess that's a very long way of saying that basically. Um, we totally understand that. We and we can yes. relate. <laughs> Unfortunately. So you said that you're about to leave Congo. What's next? Like, where do you see yourself? You going back to the States? You gonna try another country? I'd like to try another country. Um when I first came abroad, it was it was like I was like, I'm staying in Africa. And now I, I'm open. I'm open to a lot of other countries. I would ideally like to stay in Africa. There are like certain countries that I would really love to be in. And I I think at this point, like I have sort of like a strong enough resume to kind of to be a little choosy. But of course, with international teaching, it's always the issue around um, it's always the issue around like who what schools have job openings, who else is applying for them and who do they know at the schools. And and so um, it is a little bit of a crap. But for me, ideally, what I'd like to do is, you know, I'd like to stay abroad. I know I need to, I'll go home at some point. I'll go home when I need to. Um, but I don't need to go home right now, you know? Mm. And I, and I think. So what about the Middle East? Well, I hear the Middle East is where you go when you have the strong resume. You mentioned strong yeah. resume. And when you have these conversations about teaching abroad, they're one of the you know, the places that pay well, um, but they, they have a high need for like, yeah. they're, they're looking for extremely well-qualified teachers and you kind of fit that gamut. So I, the thing for me after living in Kinshasa, I think the sense that I get about a lot of teachers in the Middle East is that you end up in the same expat bubble. Like I think I think in any country you end up in the expat bubble, but there's some countries where certain situations are just culturally, it kind of like creates an even thicker bubble. Uh, Kinshasa is one of those places uh, just because I think of the instability and the cultural differences, it kind of creates this thicker in expat bubble. I'm not against going to the Middle East, but the sense that I get from a lot of people that I know who have taught there is that you, your life, your social life really exists within an expat bubble. And so to some extent, I would like to be able to go to a country where it's a little easier to break out of it. And, and not necessarily that like the culture is exactly the same, but, but yeah, I don't know if, I'm not sure if that's making complete sense. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not against. No, it, it makes complete sense to me. Um, yeah. And then I also, if I'm totally honest, like I have, I have a, a beautiful chocolate child with locks. And one of the things that I said that I wanted the most for her was to not sort of go through not go through her schooling feeling like an outsider. And that's a little bit of a concern for me. That's a little bit of a concern for me about the Middle East. So it's not necessarily an ideal place for me to go. I know it's a great place in terms of making a lot of money, but yeah, it's not necessarily, it's not top of my list. <laughs> so we definitely know it's going to be someplace that's warm because, yes. you know, just like me, I'm over the cold weather. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, I've actually, I've heard, I thought about Korea, but I like, something about the cold makes me mad. (laughs) It makes me really angry. You know what I mean? I'm like, something about the cold is like, I'm mad. I got to go to work. You want me to do what? Oh no. You know, it's like, mm -mm. so I, (laughs) I think, I think, yeah. After I, I, now I'm just realizing this. I'm like, I'm open to everything except for this place and this place. (laughs) And it gets smaller and smaller and narrower. I'm open to most things under the equator, (laughs) you know? Okay. So now we're going to have some fun, some more fun, some fun questions. You ready? Why you? <laughs> Nubia's looking at me like, where does this come from? <laughs> she's like, she's like, did we plan this out? <laughs> like I might pour myself a glass of water. All right, so fun. <laughs> fun question number yes. one. If you were to go back to the States to visit, what's the usual, like the first thing that you do or eat? Because I know when I go back, I like load up on Haitian food. Like a gluttonous pig. So <laughs> you tell me what is one thing that when you go back, like what one time we actually posted this question. Um, somebody posted in one of the uh, black and abroad groups that I'm in, and the, the one of the ladies said, I just can't wait to dry my clothes in the dryer. <laughs> she said, because <laughs> you know, out here in Southeast Asia. <laughs> Out here in Southeast Asia, you just hang your clothes to dry, right? There's no dryer. Like, what is that? You know, so I was cracking up when she said that. So what what is one thing that you can't wait to do, eat, whatever it is, when you go back to the States or visit? Um, I think probably getting Vietnamese food on Dorchester Ave. And then... Whoop, whoop. Um, Dorchester. Yes. yes. Um, and, the, you know, it's funny... I miss I miss African Americans so much. <laughs> I mean, I like you know. <laughs> I was it was so funny. <laughs> Just do you know? I was sitting on I, when we were flying here. Um, there was you know there was this movie, and I like I didn't appreciate it before, but like I I have like these friends who like you know over the summer they live in a cul de sac in Dorchester. I mean, I guess it's more like a dead end street. I know there's, but, but they, they come home from work. They work like nine to five. <laughs> Wait, we were, we, not to interrupt you, but we were both laughing. Like what cul-de-sac is in Dorchester? <laughs> Actually, it's just a dead end street. Boston joke, <laughs> know, guys. Right? Sorry. Boston joke. Like, let me, let me not front. It's across the street from Walgreens on Quincy street. It is a dead end street. <laughs> we're crying right now. We're crying right now. But like they get home they pull out the grill and they sit out there and they drink until like 11 o'clock and they talk trash and people play cards. And like, when I get home, I like need to see them. You know what I mean? Like, I just need to see them. I'm like, I need to spend time with them because they're just so black and it just makes me so happy. <laughs> it just, I don't, you're in Africa I talking know, about, I can't I wait know, to go to just, bed. I, know, I mean, it's like, it's like, <laughs> I know it sounds so bad. I know. I know. And it's like when I'm trying to like explain this to people, I mean, I, I've, I've gotten over like trying to explain this to like, but there, you know, I have like a, a crew of like other African-Americans that I hang with in, um, in Kinshasa. And it's just, you just get it. You know what I mean? Like, 
I don't even, I even have a, I have a, a Congolese friend who grew up in the States. Um, like she left when she was like two. And so she has spent all her life in the States and it's just, I don't even know. I don't know how to explain it. And she just, and just she'll say the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's, it's, I, I didn't know. We totally yeah. get it. Because, <laughs> like, I know that sounds bad. Totally get it. Because sometimes, no, no. Sometimes actually I was having this conversation with um, this white male friend of mine and he was like, you know, I miss, I miss the, like the American jokes. And it was like, you know, there's this nuance, yeah. right? Because it was, I, I can't remember what the joke was, but it was something, for example, you know, that whole joke, that's what she said. Like, not people from, you know, no one in Southeast Asia knows exactly what that means, right? But we know, and we have that, you know, parlay all the yeah. time. And so we miss the old school, basic American yeah. jokes yeah. sometimes. Oh, man. But it's funny because in Asia, they have such a respect for hip hop culture. Mm. So last night we get in and the guy at the reception at our hostel had on a sweatshirt with Snoop Dogg <laughs> and it says Snoop 71 in the back. Like, <laughs> we're just like, yo, nice sweatshirt, dude. Like, it's, like, it's so funny though. I love it. I love it. All right. Fun question number two. Okay. So fun question. Um, Kind of fun. How do you self-identify putting you on the st- on the spot? Are we doing that? What? You said that we're doing she's looking at me like, so what did you do? Me and you know, Nubia and I <laughs> You going off script and stuff. Right. No. She just put you right going off script. I don't think we do either. <laughs> Are we asking that? Okay, we're not. We're, are we asking that question? Be my guess. How do I self identify? You're supposed to help me out. She's just hanging me to dry, Lord. What? Sexuality. So we have sexuality? a mixture of. Yeah, so we have a mixture of folks. I'm that, just doing me. Is that- you know, <laughs> just, I love that answer. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, can I just say Where, that? Where's the t shirt? You know, where's the t shirt? No, I'm just doing t- me. That's a new t shirt. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I, I, uh, this girl <laughs> I had this conversation with my daughter. No, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I have to think about that because for me, it wasn't, I mean, I, I think in terms of like, I'm like, I don't even know how to explain this. I'm just doing me at this point. I I am very open and have always been open where I am right now. Okay, good. <laughs> where I am right now, mainly. Yeah, I'm we don't need. We just. We, it's a fun question, right? This is we we like our guests to lean against their edge, so we just we just, we kind of just pushed you there. But <laughs> listen, it's too late. We wrote it down on no! the board. On the we put it on the whiteboard, so we're taking it. Sorry, it's too late. <laughs> so tell us um a fun question number. What are we three? So tell us one of your funny um, abroad stories, oh. like something like, you're like, oh my God, I'm not in America right now because this would not go down in America. But you know what? I'm just going to accept it and let it go and let God, right? Like, like what, what's the saying? So this, this, I'm from the Caribbean. So sometimes I forget the, the <laughs> let go and let God, is that it? Yeah. All right, cool. So, All right. Yeah, okay. All right, just making sure. This hasn't happened to me, but it was a conversation that I was having with one of my students. 
where actually, no, no. So it's sorry. It started with a conversation. It started with me talking about something that I, that had happened to a friend of mine. And then, and I'm sure I have like other, other ridiculous stories, things that you just like, that you just get used to that when you tell other people, they're like, that's not normal. And it's like, really? Oh, but I have a friend who was walking home and on his way home, he was robbed. And then the people, well, so this, this is in Kinshasa. And so then the people that robbed, so the people that robbed him, they took everything. They took his phone, they took his wallet, they took all this stuff. And then they realized that if he kept walking home without anything, if another group of people tried to rob him, they were probably going to be angry and hurt him. So they escorted him home so that nobody else would rob him. <laughs> my students about this because I thought it was like the funniest thing ever. They escorted him home so that nobody else who tried to rob him would hurt him. I was like, that is so polite. If you can see this right, I'm crying. Okay. I'm literally So I'm telling my students this and she was like, oh, miss. My student, she's Congolese. She was like, oh, miss, that is so Congolese. She was telling me how her aunt one day was walking down the street and a man robbed her and took her phone. And her aunt had this like old cheap phone. And the man looked at her phone and was like upset and was like, you need to buy a better quality phone. And like, you know, it's not safe for women to have these bad quality phones. He still took her phone, but like gave her a lecture, <laughs> gave her a lecture about buying. <laughs> I can't even deal right now. So, I'm freaking crying. <laughs> or, I'm trying to think of some other things that have. Oh, I'm in a lot of pain right that, now. Uh, oh, I'm in a lot of pain. Um, that is the funniest thing. <laughs> it was just we like crazy stuff. Things that are got things that like, um, my daughter will like convey things to me. So one day she was supposed to have a play date and her friend was supposed to come over and, and she'll say stuff to me that like her friends say. And I think sometimes it's either her translating from French or it's, you know, most of her friends are they're you know, they speak English and French. And so sometimes, you know, any, with any little kids, like they'll convey stuff to you and it's like, that didn't make any sense. So one day she had a friend who was supposed to come over and the friend couldn't come over because the driver couldn't drop the friend off. And, and I was like, oh no, that, no, why? Oh, the driver can't come because his wife stole a mango and a baby. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't think. I didn't even stop. I, you know didn't I was like, I don't understand. Wait, what? She what stole a mango and a baby. I said, oh, I don't think that's what happened. No, that's what happened. That's what he said to me. And it made complete sense to her. I was like, I don't even understand what's going on. Um, and I was like, to me, it was like, I don't, why are they together though? Like, which, which of these is the more like egregious act? <laughs> um, and I, I don't know if it got lost or I don't know exactly what happened, but but the driver's wife stole a baby. <laughs> Adia, we want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. This has been very cool. So it's time to dive deep and look into the holistic perspective of travel. We believe traveling is an investment in you. So our mission is to inspire you to book that flight 
check that item off your bucket list and go on that adventure. And our hope is to ignite connections all over the world. What advice would you give to somebody who is thinking about it, whether it's traveling or wanting to move abroad, similar as you, what advice would you give to them? And if they have like some hesitations or... Is it with, with kids or... Both. We have a um, mixed bag. You know, well, I mean, if I'm honest, like there, there are probably things that I would have done differently without a child than with a child. You know, if I had gone abroad without a child, I just would have done it, you know figure it out. If it doesn't completely work, it doesn't completely work. With a child, I mean, I, I think that there's there's sort of this allowance for adventure, but I think you also kind of have to find that stability. Because to me, like you find the stability in terms of like the structure and, and how, what's the plan for when you move abroad? Because I think moving abroad provides, even with the stability, provides enough, you know, it provides enough, um, it, it will provide you with enough surprises that there's no need to create more surprises even as you move abroad. But I think there are a lot of opportunities to do it. You know, I don't know. I think I'm being very vague here. No, I think that's, that's great. I'm I'm like, like, what saying? <laughs> I don't even know. So at the end of the day, I think what you're saying is like, just do it. Because yeah. I would say just, work out if you ain't got no kids, everywhere. do you figure, you know what I mean? Like pick up and go. I mean, you know, if you don't have any kids, do you, if you do, I think it's important to take the leap. I, I mean, I only say this because I think my struggle has always been at what point am I like helping or harming my child? At what point am I doing this because this is what I want? And at what point am I doing this because I've convinced myself that this, this is what she wants? And my, you know, my yes. daughter is very yeah. like, she's very much in tune with what I want. So I think sometimes she's more apt to say that she wants something because she thinks that's what I want. And so I, I think the the balance as like a parent moving abroad is yes show your child that you can jump in there and that you can be adventurous and that you can do it but don't necessarily subject them to unnecessary instabilities that you've created because you just took the leap um and so i would say just create create stability where you can because even if everything is perfect there are going to be enough surprises and enough challenges in front of you that like they'll already learn how to manage they'll already learn how to manage these like tenuous i don't know does that make sense i think that's perfect advice no no that's that's great that's great well we had such a great time i mean did did you did you have a good time i I did i hope you did it was fun thank you so much i had some gut busting gut busting i like that term Is that a black American thing? <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway. Oh. Like, I've never heard uh, that before. So Adia, so Adia, thank you so much for spending time with us today. This is an awesome experience. Thank you. Um, so Adia, where can people find more about you? How can they follow you? Oh, like gosh. social media handles? Because I know you're, like, you're a writer and stuff and you do. I'm on Instagram. I mean, I, you know, my Facebook isn't like super fun, but I am on Instagram. Um, Awesome. At it's Adia E W H A D I Y A E W H. I need to like start a blog, but I'm also like a little bit lazy sometimes. So, so that's what's happening with that. Okay. <laughs> but when I do, when I do get it together, I, you know, I'll 
I'll probably like put that on my Instagram page or something. But I mean, my Instagram is mostly just pictures of awesome. travels. So. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So we'll put that in the show notes and very good. So, all right, everyone, that's all we have for today. We hope you enjoyed the show as much as we did, obviously. Um, and tune in for our next week guests and check out the show notes and yeah, sounds good. Thank you, ladies. Thank you again. <laughs> and if you're ever in Southeast Asia, I, hit us up. That's my plan. We'll next play year. some spades. Yeah. Oh yeah. We might not got a grill, but we that's got some okay. spades. If we could play spades, <laughs> honestly, if we could play spades and talk trash, that's all I need. Oh my God, please. Can we do spades? <laughs> yes. You're more than welcome. All right. Like saying we can do. All right. So thank you so much, Adia. Bye, ladies. Thank you for tuning in to Chronicles Abroad. Please support us by sharing this podcast through your social media platforms. Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram and hit that like button at Chronicles underscore abroad. Find us online at our website, chroniclesabroad.com, for tips, resources, and ways we can collaborate. So don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Until then, beautiful people, thanks for listening. Music by Stephanie James and Almighty K-Rock, produced by Adam Marcus.